0: I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work get closer and closer to the point within the circle masonic Muscle, we give you more light but no light weights. we're here to pump you up body mind and soul if you've been listening to the masonic muscle podcast I'd really appreciate it if you took just one minute to give me a review on either iTunes or Spotify. It helps me out a lot. And if you've done uh, that already, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with all the Masons you know of. Please. Please. Especially the California Masons. Word of mouth is the primary way Masonic muscle grows and spreads. So please share. Text a Mason. Send out an email. However you communicate, tell them to check it out. And from the East Coast to the West Coast, have you been studying your ciphers? Have you been studying the Inner Apprentice Fellow Craft and Master Mason Study Guides? Have you signed up for the Masters and Wardens retreats that are going on right now in California? You know who you are, brethren. Have you been digging into the mysterious origins of masonry? Or plain and simply... The Mysteries of Masonry. Have you been improving your spiritual, moral, and Masonic trestle boards? Have you stopped making excuses and begun to improve the level of your Masonic and physical fitness one degree at a time? Have you improved the quality of your nutrition? Physical, spiritual, mental. If not, why not? When would now be a good time to start improving that? When? I don't know if I shared with you, but recently I had to switch up my exercise routine. And this was a little new to me. There's a certain way I've been working out for a while now, but just began to notice that I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. Reason being... I am no longer 30 or 40 years old. This year, I will turn, if God willing, I will turn 52 years old. So my body isn't exactly reacting the way it used to. So I have to adapt. I have to adjust. And luckily, there are ardent weightlifters out there that have been doing this for a long, long time. And they're still at it. And I've read about a lot of these gentlemen. But not until now have I put any kind of emphasis on them because, plain and simply, the routines that I was using before were very effective and I was satisfied with the results. But again, you know, Mother Nature begins to creep up on you and you have to adapt. So one of the guys that I followed, that I follow, continue to follow online, on Instagram and what have you, and his books is Brooks Kubik, the author of Dinosaur Training. If you're young and you want to tap into some pretty primordial ways of gaining strength and size and just real world strength, get that book. It set the weightlifting world on end because of what it was talking about, but it, it wasn't talking about anything new. You, when you read it, you end up finding out that these are the types of lifts that the old school strongmen would do. Because they were interested in, in dexterity. They were interested in real world strength uh, because they were out there in the real world. They were farmers. They were you know, in hard labor, doing hard labor. And they needed type of strength that you don't get from bench pressing. Or you're laying on your back and you're pushing a weight up. No, you need to do lifts that you know with weight that's unbalanced like in the real life. you need to do lifts that will uh help you to pick barrels up and put them on your shoulders or bales of hay or stuff like that and those are called unconventional lifts, so anyhow, I had to switch up my routine and I started the five by five and I read it where else? in one of Brooks Kubik's books, where he was pretty much describing what happened to him as he got older and how he had to switch up his routines and finally acknowledge, hey, I'm getting older. My body's getting older, and I have to respect that. I can still have massive gains, but I have to obey the laws of nature. I guess that's the best way of putting it. So for me, when I think about that, I really think about that's his charity towards the weightlifting world. That's his charity, that's his charitable contribution to men and women who love to exercise, who love to weightlift who love to use the traditional power movements because he, he likes like the clean and jerk, the Olympic, uh, wait, um, the Olympic lifts, along with, you know, trap bar deadlifts and back squats and the compound movements. He likes to keep it simple and that's his charitable contribution. Now recently, this word charity has been coming up again and again, at our lodge, in conversations. There seems to be a certain way that the word has been defined, which kind of funnels you into a certain channel in order to provide what would be defined as charity. When we talk about it, though, and if you EAs from our lodge, Palm Springs Lodge number 693, who have been practicing the trivium, if you guys haven't been asking people to define their terms so that you can understand what's going on and begin to dispel the confusion that has been going on now for over a year, we can start there. Define charity for us. What do you mean by that? I will help you with that, starting with the book called Observing the Craft by Andrew Hammer, and I'm using the little hardbound book. This was incredibly difficult for me to get for a long time, and one of my good friends that's a member of Palm Springs Lodge, he actually got, I believe, a first edition And he got it signed by Andrew Hammer. I got it signed as well, but he was there in front of Andrew Hammer uh, when he went to South Pasadena Lodge number 290 years ago and gave a talk. And he obviously had these books with him. And so you can buy it and then have him sell it. But how does he define the word charity? And in his book, again, the little hardbound book, on page 110... Paragraph number two in the middle, I'm going to begin to read from there to give us context to begin to define terms. He says, Freemasons are taught that charity is the perfection of every virtue and it has always been considered an essential part of what we do. However, it is important to define what is meant by charity in the Masonic sense, as opposed to how that word might be defined In the outside world notice how he's making a very clear distinction right off the bat and many people to this day still don't agree with his definition of the term simply because that's just the way they've always defined it since they've been practicing masonry let us continue the use of the word charity in our ritual and instruction goes back to the very beginning of the craft but the meaning of the word Is a bit different than is commonly understood in today's parlance. In the 17th century, charity did not only mean the giving of material goods or money to the unfortunate. That was more commonly expressed by the word alms, which is derived from the Greek word for pity. At the time when our rituals were being written, charity was understood as the translation of the Latin word caritas. The meaning of which to the Romans was preciousness or referring to something of a high price. It later became the Latin translation for the Greek word agape, which is known to us as an unconditional spiritual love for God and humanity. In fact, Augustine of Hippo believed that Caritas described the human desire to be like God finally the word agape originally an infrequently used word in ancient greek was used in almost every instance in the subtugent to translate the hebrew word abava which means exactly the same kind of higher love of god where it is used in the torah significantly one proof of this more nuanced meaning is found in the king james bible translated in 1611 which, in the Apostles' first letter to the Corinthians, translated agape into charity. Later, more accurate translations would change agape directly to the English word love. But the men who compose our rituals, who considered that particular Bible to be the word of God, and who so strongly referred to charity as a virtue, would have had that both more accurate and complex meaning of charity in mind when they put pen to paper. It is that meaning they were communicating to us as the perfection of every virtue. virtue. When we then look at the meaning of charity as agape or abava, as the fathers of our ritual did, we find that they, what they were talking about was not just acts of loving kindness towards others, but the higher psychological connection to deity which serves to perfect the human spirit. Here yet again, we cannot escape the philosophical nature of Freemasonry. In this word, we find the connotations of excellence, of something of high value, something dear which surpasses the norm. We have the explicit connection to perfecting our being through a union of love with the Godhead. And because of that, we can correctly understand the Masonic meaning of charity. We engage in philanthropy only because of the philosophical teachings of our order, which compel us to do so in the first place. Without philanthropy, we are merely doing less in the world, than our philosophy teaches. But without our philosophy, we lose our meaning. And when we lose our meaning, we lose our reason to exist. Put another way, in the same Pauline letter that so obviously inspired our forefathers, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Masonic charity is not material benevolence. Rather, it is the spiritual and philosophical awakening which motivates it. Therefore, Masonry must return to meaning and philosophy as its primary task, its prime motivator for the work we are to do within ourselves and as for others. If we put that as our first priority, All forms of benevolence will follow as a natural result. The men knocking at the door of the lodge today are telling us exactly that. And this development is changing the craft for the better. Now, go back to a certain conversation or conversations about being asked what type of charity are we doing out in the community. And our brother, Bill Roos, most aptly said it, the donation of our time. The donation of our time is our most valuable asset. Everybody has the same amount of time, but not everybody chooses to use that time or utilize it in the same manner. And when you join a lodge and you observe that we have eight different areas of lodge life, that's what I've come to call it. Because there are different facets that has to be addressed in order to help that lodge come to life and bring it to health and make it begin to vibrate in such a way that you don't want everybody sharing that. You want them to get a glimpse of it. They can have a glimpse of it. But in order to have the full experience, you will be asked to pay the price, and it's a good price to pay. If done right, it's more than well worth it, but the definition of terms at the outset of any conversation is crucial, absolutely crucial. So why do we continue to have these conversations, and nobody's asking, can you define your terms? Can you please tell me what you mean exactly by that? How are how is the organization defining this term and why do you get to define it for us? And if we decide that we don't agree with that definition or with that particular idea what's wrong with that? That's not outside of the realm of California masonry. That's well within the realm. Nothing illegal has been done. Nothing contrary to the tenets of Freemasonry have been done. It's just a group of men putting their heads together and deciding what they are going to decide to do with the time that they have and that they want to voluntarily donate to the lodge to help make it something special that takes a lot of hard work and effort and yes going through my degrees at palm springs Lodge number six nine three i did hear at stated meetings over and over again that our charitable contributions should be anonymous that nobody should know about who did it and why because we are not in it for the accolades. I heard it from Porter. I heard it from Abernathy. I heard it from Jim Nash. I heard it from many, many Masonic mentors that if you had the privilege of being a member of our Lodge during that time, that's the idea you would have gotten. And so it's become ingrained. People don't have to know what we're doing. People don't have to know where the money came from or who helped or who stepped up and decided to do good works because that's the right thing to do. Masonic charity and alms, it seems to be two different, completely different things. And if you're taking it from the stance of well, charity in the original meaning meant something precious. Something that you cannot put a price on. Mentoring the younger members. Mentoring the Masonic leaders of a lodge. Mentoring these young men that are coming knocking on our doors. And what are they finding? They're finding a lodge that really doesn't provide much other than when you're ready we'll give you a nap and then we'll give you degrees and don't worry about it because once you get your third degree it'll all make sense and it never does. And don't punish lodges because they're not making members fast enough. Don't punish lodges because they the lodge itself sees there's a need for members to sit in chairs for any particular length of time and they all agreed and they all are of one mind and they all understand the necessity of why this has to be done this way. And they're all of one mind and they're doing what has to be done at their local level because they've discussed it because they understood the problems that had arisen, because they understood the challenges. And as grown men and adults, they decided to do what was best in the best interest of their lodge, of themselves. And they paid, they knew the, the principle of paid price to action. They understood that very well. But some don't. And so can you say that that was their charitable contribution? Not only to their lodge, but to the community? Yeah, I would say that fits the bill. Yes, it does. Hence, when we practice the trivium in the trivium discussion group, why we have dictionaries. And the older, the better. Because in many instances, you can follow how a certain word, the definition of a certain word was changed. And when the certain definition of a word was changed, it now when it's used, it no longer means what it means. Obviously, it's been changed. And so that changes how you perceive things. That changes the reality. The reality of who? Well, what reality? Well, the reality of the person that's using it. And the reality of the, of the people who are having this used on them. And I heard one time in a conversation where when an Indian tribe, when had, I guess, too many people or someone wanted to break away, when they broke away, one of their major obstacles or tasks was to create a new language because they understood that the language had power and if they did not change their language now they're they're susceptible to defensive positions to uh, you know, specific information that they need to carry from one person to another. So it was incredibly important. Also, if you are, you know, a civilization that came to conquer another one and you really wanted to screw with them, you change their language and you change the meanings of words and this completely confused the populace and it becomes so taxing and so stressful that eventually they just, the populace would just give up. You know, you, you, they're, they're, they can't understand. There's so much confusion. They just give up and now they're wide open for suggestion. Do this, do that, da-da-da. You've confused them through language. This is the power of language. Power of words. I encourage you to continue to exercise. It is a new year. I encourage you to continue to improve the nutrition, your your nutritional intake, but also, as a Mason, the spiritual and intellectual nutrition. And don't be afraid to read other opinions. Don't be afraid to read other ways of practicing the craft. This is how we derive at the best, at the best of what we can utilize, the best tools, the best ideas. Some will work for us, some won't. Some will work for you. Some won't. But without this continuous like childlike you know mentality as far as creativity and wanting to know and desire desire to want to experiment, then you will stagnate. But that applies to anything. And then just pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. If it doesn't work, that's all right. Keep going. No one's going to die. No, it's not life, life and limbs. It's, it, this is a one big giant experiment for a lot of lodges. But a lot of our brothers are afraid of change. We've heard it before. It's nothing new. But when you have finally taken that step and now you are actively implementing ideas, understanding that some of them will not work, and along the way, you just keep going. You just keep going. That lodges on to something. So there you have it, brethren. Charity. Brooks Cubic, Is that his charitable contribution to the weightlifting world? His books, his videos, his messages to us, his donating of his time, which is the most valuable resource that we all have. We all have the same amount. But we all choose how we use that time differently and in the lodge you have to choose how you're going to use that time differently but i will tell you this if you decide to go out there into the world so that you can be out in the public eye and everybody can see what you're doing and you can say look daddy look what good people we are look what we did. Can you pat us on the head now? And you never sit down with your brethren to investigate and explore the mysteries of masonry and give them something that we were all looking for when we first joined. There's going to be Something missing. You're going to feel like something's missing the whole time. So think about that. And with that, I don't think I have anything more to say. What more can I say for this one? That's about it, right? And let us finish with a prayer. Supreme Grand Master, Ruler of Heaven and Earth, Now that we are about to separate and return to our respective places of abode, wilt Thou be pleased so to influence our hearts and minds, that we may each one of us practice, out of the lodge, those great moral duties which are inculcated in it, and with reverence study and obey the laws which Thou hast given us in Thy holy word. Amen. That's right. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of some doing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom, and hopefully some good will towards exercising. Get out there and get your walking in. Open up your ciphers. Study, memorize, and just do it.